This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast, and find out about events and training in your area. Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name's Becky Sedgwick, and I'm part of the team here at Parenting for Faith. And in this week's episode... I chew over some of those really big, tough questions that we have and our kids have about faith, the Bible and God, and wonder what to do with them. In our questions section, Rachel answers a question about how to help a three-year-old who isn't used to having chats with no answers, have private conversations with God. And in our wildcard section, Rachel interviews the amazing Kate Wharton about singleness. It's a great listen. And we'll end, as always, with a question to start an interesting conversation. So today I wanted to talk about a question that's been running around my head for a bit. You know how that happens. You're like, there's just something your brain keeps returning to. And this is the question my brain's been wrestling with. How important is it that we answer the big questions kids have about God. You know, the sort of like creation versus evolution, or can you trust every word the Bible says, or how can God allow, sorry, how can God allow suffering? You know, those sort of humdingers of a question? Because I'm hearing that if kids don't know the answer to those questions, it's a big contributor to them losing faith or walking away from the church, because basically there's a massive disconnect. So the thinking goes, there's a massive disconnect They see suffering and think, well, what's that got to do with a God who's loving? So I can't believe in God. Or, um, you know, we prayer supposed to make a difference, but we prayed for my aunt and she died. That type of stuff. And I also listened to the Unbelievable podcast, which is um, a really great podcast where they get Christians and non-Christians did to debate topical issues and very often they talk about and sometimes have as a guest people who used to be Christians sometimes even like leaders of churches who say now that I came across some issue or something which I just couldn't reconcile with God a big question and so I don't believe anymore and that's quite scary because I don't know the answers to those questions either some questions, there are people who do or can offer a really good explanation of things, people we call apologists. But your average Christian like me is not an apologist. I have my own ideas, but I don't think I could actually answer many of those questions. I couldn't debate them or stand up and make a good case for them publicly. So this this questions and the other thing about that is on the sticky faith research, they say that it's one of the things which helps children retain their faith once they leave home is when they've had answers to some of those big questions. So this is all running around in my head. And I'm like, well, this is actually quite scary because if I'm supposed to be able to answer the questions that kids have and they can't, that's a big responsibility. But then I was also reflecting on a conversation we aired a few weeks ago where I chatted with Rosie, who's 19, about her faith journey. And one of the questions I asked her was, what has helped your faith stick? And the answer she gave wasn't actually one that I was at all expecting, even though I know Rosie. She said it was a safe space to ask any question. And she went on to describe how um, her granddad encouraged her to ask questions and 
Um, you know, they would debate stuff over the dinner table and she was allowed to ask anything she wanted and, and encouraged to try and work out the answers. And that got me thinking because I don't think for one minute that Rosie means that she got a definitive answer to those big questions. She said that there were conversations and she was encouraged to ask them and think and, and ask questions and nothing was off limits. But she didn't say, and now I believe because I have a definitive answer into the problem of suffering or have a definitive answer about why God sometimes answers prayers and not. So actually, I wondered whether actually I've asked the right question because I started at the top of this saying the question is, how important is it that we answers, answer the big questions kids have about God? But I'm actually wondering now if the right question is be is how important is it that we make space for the big questions kids have about God? Because the first, how important is it to answer the big questions, put massive pressure on us as parents and carers and people who work with or love children, because it means we need to know the answers. The second, how important is it that we make space for the big questions kids have about God? I can do, anyone can do. I can make a space for conversation about the big questions. And maybe most importantly, as I share my experiences or my views, I can also share the fact that very often I don't know the answer. Because the way I see it is that if God is who I think he is, he's creator, Lord of all, good, loving, judge, shepherd, healer, redeemer, powerful, best parent ever. If he is all those things, then I need to be brave enough to say doubt and not knowing are a normal part of being a Christian. Because people talk about their doubts and not knowing as being a problem, a problem for them to be a Christian because I don't know something. Skeptics will say, because God doesn't make sense, I can't believe in him. But I don't think that's true because I think not knowing and actually, I, I get comfort from being able to say, I don't know all the answers because God's too big. So when the sceptics say, if you can't understand about God, then you can't believe in him. I can say when God doesn't make sense, that's OK, because he's too big for me to make sense of. But I know enough about God. I know God well enough to trust that when I don't understand, it's still OK. So back to the question. I think big questions are vitally important because our kids are immersed in a culture that ridicules God or explains him incredibly badly. Daily, they see and hear people who set out to prove that God is just a fiction or say miracles don't happen or are sceptical or think that the Bible is just a collection of fairy stories or historical myth. And they also will experience stuff themselves, which will make them doubt their own suffering, when they hear about abuse, when they see wars, when they see the state we've let the world get into, when they hear somebody proving that the Bible contradicts itself. All these things are going to come up and challenge them. And they ask questions. There are questions that need to be answered. But I don't think when kids have these questions, what they're necessarily looking for is a theological or an intellectual answer. I think that what they're looking for is to work out how can you reconcile these things and still be a question? How can you reconcile that God loves everybody and wants the best for everybody 
in a world that has massive refugee camps and abuse and injustice at all levels. What they want to understand, I think, is how can they still understand God in the light of these things? And these are really important questions. And these are actually things as parents and carers and people who love and work with children, we can help with, even if, like most of us, we can't answer the massive questions intellectually. We can't debate them. We can do, I think, just three things really quickly. I think there's three things we can do really easily. We can make space for questions. Let's have no question about God off limits. Let's encourage debate. Let's start conversations about God and about what you see in the world to help our kids get used to this idea that you can question and debate around God. and That's OK. And that doubt and questions are a normal part of being a Christian. The second thing is to remember that you can't answer any big question about God unless you talk about who God is in your relationship with him. Just like if somebody was asked, is Becky a nice person? They would end up almost invariably talking about their relationship with me, what they know of me, what they've seen me do, how they've heard me talk. In the same way, I can't, I can't answer any question about God just as him as kind of like a concept. I have to talk about my relationship with him. So as you talk about these big questions with your kids, you can talk about your experience of God in those situations, share stories of times you've dealt with a suffering question or how you interpret that verse, or why, even though you were gutted, God didn't answer your prayer for someone to live, you still know he's a good God. And thirdly, when you don't know the answer or you don't know something about God, talk about what you do know. For example, I really don't know why God allowed that devastating tsunami 10, 11 years ago. But I do know that the Bible tells us the earth is off kilter and one day he'll get it all back to where it should have been perfect and working well. I don't know why God allowed me to undergo that suffering, but I do know that when I was distressed, God comforted me. I don't know why, but I know that's a really important two-sided sentence. I don't know this, but I do know that. Because that way, kids get an idea of how an ordinary Christian deals with difficult questions. And that's how they learn to find things that might help them too. You know, you've got this. You've got, you know, your kids and you know that some of them might need to understand science or theology or they're going to become a theologian or an apologist. And that's great. And if that's the case for your kid, search our website using the word apologetics. And it should point you to some website articles which will um lists and resources that might help. But most kids like me are just looking for ways to help them navigate those unexpected bumps in the road on their journey with Jesus. And by being a safe and welcoming space to ask and debate, you're making essential space for them to explore the big questions and work out how God fits into the world and learn to be comfortable with the answer, I don't know. Okay, so the question for today is a question that came in from a course leader. And uh, she writes this. Hi there, I've been doing the chat and catch session with some parents from the Parenting for Faith course. You can see that on our website. And a question came up that I wasn't sure how to advise. I'm hoping you might have some ideas. Well, I 
<laughs> have ideas. Whether or not they're the right ones, we don't know. Uh, they're my ideas. Uh, they're my opinions. You may have a different one. Uh, the parents have a three-year-old and weren't sure how well encouraging him to have private chats with God would go, i.e. whispering into the hands, um, as when having human conversations, he needs a reassurance that you've heard him and will keep repeating until you respond. They are keen to encourage him and remove themselves from the high priest role and use prayer prompts. Any tips on how they can help him with his need? for verbal reassurance? Uh, right. Well, I think it's a great question. And uh, I have a few things in response to this. One, I think it's really important to highlight that these parents know their kid well. And I just want to flag up for all parents out there that that is the joy and role that we have is to take these ideas and then look at our kids and say, ooh, how, what is my kid's shape? What is the beautiful quirkiness of my kid and how can I help them take their next step in connection with God? So it's a great question that they asked. Uh, and I think also it's really worth highlighting that what they did was they looked at the child's human conversations and then put those expectations on how the conversation would go with God. And I think that's a really helpful insight. Um, sometimes what happens with kids is we expect their conversation to God, with God to be like of a higher and more, I don't know, deep level than their normal conversations. And I think it's really useful to just lower our expectations to say how they talk to the other kids, how they talk to us, how they talk to their siblings is how they're going to talk to God. And so therefore, their um, their thoughts and their patterns are going to be similar to that. So when we're looking at a three-year-old who really struggles um, in, in talking to someone because they really want reassurance that they've heard that you've heard them they want a sort of visual verbal reassurance that i get your your message uh, how does that work when we're dealing with an invisible god and so i would suggest a few next steps to help your th kid grow in understanding that when they talk to god god hears them and he can get that reassurance from god so the first thing i would suggest you do is begin to create windows into how you perceive God's assurance that he hears you. And so what does it look like in the life of the parents? Does it look like when you finish praying to say, thank you, God, that you hear us? And when you finish to to just say, oh, I love that whenever I finish, I just know that I know that God hears me because he can hear my thoughts inside my head. He can also hear what comes out of my mouth. And I, I'm so glad that he can hear every thought in my head. However you want to, to do it, or you can be laying in bed and say, you know what, when I talk to God, this is what it feels like to me. This is what I remind myself of. This is how I know that God hears my, how do you know that God hears you? And to have those conversations so that your child is constantly hearing reaffirmations and seeing in the lives of other people how they know that God hears them. So that we're surrounding this child with um examples of life around them of that of that so it's not just feeling so you may have a feeling that god hears you you may have a sense of it in your body but you may just know that you know because of scripture and however you have reassurance that god hears you create windows around you so that the kids can hear that the second thing that a child may need is a framing for it of of understanding the biblical principles of God hearing us and what he needs to hear us. You know, does God need, dear God, an amen? Does he need us to be still? Does he 
Uh, does he expect it to sound something? Does it have to be out loud? Does it have to be words? And so sometimes just giving him that biblical framework of saying, you know, in the Bible, it says that, you know, the, the very size of our heart, you know, he intercedes for us. He hears even just the size of our emotions. Anything we want to share with God, he hears. He's that close. And so anything you want to share with God, you can do that. Uh, and so you may want to be able to, to do that. Whatever you feel biblically, your kid needs to have those frameworks. You can teach it to him. You can drop it in as you're just saying, ooh, I was reading the Bible the other day. I was just reminded of how God promises this to sort of just give him a framework of understanding so he can see it in your life when you create windows. He can have a framework for it so he can understand it. And then you may need some equipping side by side as you as you talk about chatting to God and whispering into your hands and having private chats with God to do it alongside. Say, you know, let's do it side by side. You whisper to God and I'll whisper to God because he can hear us both at the same time. He's amazing. And then you finish and you can say, you know, oh God, I love that you hear us and say, you know, I know that God hears me because I trust that he is so close or I trust that he listens or I trust that he has an ear out just for me all the time. And just sort of framing that when you encounter God, that's what it looks like to be peaceful and to create those opportunities around him. So you're equipping that. And then you can suggest those opportunities and see how that goes and begin to just walk alongside him as he tries. You might want to whisper into your hands so that your kid sees you doing that and sees you smiling afterwards. He sees that that's a normal part of life. And so however you want to do it, I would suggest you start with the windows, frame, equip, and then create those opportunities as you begin to go around the circle. And I think that might help you find your next steps in that. As always, if you're not sure, if you have further questions, please feel free to get in contact. We'd love to hear them. And if anyone else has any other questions, please get in contact. We'd love to answer your questions. Uh, Well, welcome to the wildcard section of our podcast. Uh, I am here with the fab Kate Wharton. And uh, as we talked about before, she's going to talk to us about singleness and children and all sorts of things of conversations that we can have. So Kate, would you mind introducing yourself? What's your background? What do you do? And uh, yeah. I'd love to. Thanks, Rachel. And I didn't know it was called the wildcard section. I kind of love that about it. I'm, I'm excited to be the wildcard. Um, so I'm Kate Wharton. I am the vicar of St. Bartholomew's Church in Roby in Liverpool. Uh, I'm one of the assistant national leaders of New Wine England. I'm a member of General Synod. I'm a trustee of St. Melitus College. Um, I am a volunteer with Safe Families. So I um, often look after um, little people, the tinier the better. Um, if they've got really small babies, they're like, oh, well, ask Kate first. Um, <laughs> and so I love to do that. I enjoy fencing, uh, which I always have to say the type with swords, not the type with wooden posts in the ground. Um, that's a fun hobby that I only started a few years ago and I really enjoy it, but I probably would be better at it if I'd started it young. <laughs> um, and I'm single and I've always been single and I write and speak uh, a lot about singleness. Um, in 2013, I always find it fascinating when things come out. You released a book. Well, a book was released. You wrote a book and it was released uh, called Single Minded, Being Single, Whole and Living Life to the Full. Why did you feel it was important to write that book? Well, I didn't set out initially to write a book. (laughs) I didn't even set out initially to speak about singleness. I set out to uh, live my life following Jesus. I set out to live my life the best I could. It turned out that I was single. And so I set out to live my life the best way I could being single. And I didn't know, of course, at that point that I would always be single. 
but you know in the in the time in my life I found myself I wanted to live well in the middle of all that I've been involved with new wine for a lot of years in the middle of all that I got asked by new wine to do a seminar on singleness and I said no <laughs> because I I've never really been to many seminars on singleness I, I didn't feel at that time it was something that I especially wanted to do but but the times I had heard people talk about about singleness it hadn't been a good experience Mm. they had been the sort of talk where you felt worse at the end than you had felt when it began Mm. and I thought well what does it look like to do a seminar on singleness that's encouraging that's hopeful um that's you know that's that's fun that's inspirational I don't know what that looks like I wish somebody would do it but I don't know what it looks like and am I that person so I said no and then the following year they asked me again um and I said do you remember we had this conversation I don't want to do this <laughs> and then something happened that very rarely happens to me I had a dream mm. and when I woke up I I had two titles mm. and they were pretty good so I knew that they'd come from God and not from my brain and they were this uh living a God-obsessed life in a sex-obsessed world Ooh. and living a God-obsessed life in a marriage-obsessed church wow those are good titles right yeah and I just woke up with them one morning and so I emailed the person who'd invited me and I said um you know I said I wouldn't do the seminar I want to do two (laughs) and this is what they're called and they said that's fantastic we'd love you to do two so I wrote the seminars I went to the event I did the seminars and something happened in me I just Mm -hmm. got like super excited and Mm. suddenly thought actually this really matters it really Mm. matters that we talk about this stuff it really matters that we think about it that we um that our churches are open to to, you know so many single people in churches so many single people in the in society who don't necessarily always feel that life is easy who feel that church can sometimes be a hard place and it's important as well that we're really clear about what the bible says And, you know, we can't just go, oh, well, good luck with that. But how do we actually equip people to live well? And it's very practical, very um, in in sort of publishing terms, they call it a popular book. I hope it is popular, but in terms (laughs) of it's not an academic book. It's a book you can read fairly quickly. You can pass on to your friends. Obviously, it's useful for single people, but I really hope married people will read it too. I hope Mm. people leading churches will read it, whether they're single or married, because... I just want it to kind of be quite down to earth. Hmm. People comment on it and they say, oh, it's quite honest. <laughs> yeah, my. I don't want towards the overshare. <laughs> but I think that's important because I think, why bother to talk about this stuff? If, yeah. we, if not, if you don't want to do that, then don't talk about it. But if you're yeah. going to talk about it, you might as well be honest. Yeah. So I talk about, you know, well, why is the church marriage obsessed? Is, is it true for a start? Mm. Mm. Um, and if it is true well why and what does that look like what are the effects of that what are the problems with that is the is the world sex obsessed well yeah yeah (laughs) but again what does that look like how do we live well in that Mm. um there's there's stuff in it about people who are single again so they may have been married Mm. but now they're divorced Mm. and they're widowed what's that like Mm -hmm. um one of the reasons i wanted to have you here on this podcast is because like it's our job as parents and carers to help children consider their current world and their future world. And I think very often this idea of marriage and kids becomes the default for this is your path in life. You will do this and then you will do this and then this will inevitably happen to you and you'll do this. And it becomes the default in conversation. It becomes the default in in what is the future. And I, I was so struck by the title of your book being about being single whole and living life to the full. And this idea of sex obsessed or marriage you know, centric, this idea 
why is it important that we start giving the message to our children now that that singleness is a is a possible life path that is beautiful and full and rich and and how do we do that well why is it important how do we do it it's so important and i'm so delighted to be asked to speak on this particular podcast because this is something that i say often i i, I say this to people who have care for children whether whether parents grandparents carers or whether you know church kids workers whatever that there is a whole kind of default thing that we do in society there's a way that we talk to children I think there's lots about the way we talk to children that we need to change in terms of the things that we praise in them and the things that we comment when we see a child that's often about appearance or all kinds of stuff but I think there's a whole default thing about when you grow up and get married when you're a mummy or a daddy when you have children of your own and there's so much about that that I could unpack but I think we do make some unhelpful distinctions. And I do think we put that default onto children when you grow up, when you get married, when you're a mum or a dad. And I think, I think that becomes like a goal. So one of the, one of the things I often quote when I'm talking about um, singleness is the fact that years ago, there was this advert on the radio and it was, uh, a, uh, it was meant to be a sat-nav voice. They're very recognisable, aren't they? You could tell it was a sat-nav voice on the radio. And it was for an insurance company. And the insurance company were trying to say, we're with you through all of your life. Mm. So they said, they, and they, so they t- talked about a journey, a sat-nav journey. Born, grow up, get a job, get married, have children, reach your destination. That's what mm. it said. Wow. Those were the life stages. Re- and, and it was those final words that were so stark, reach your destination. You've arrived when you've fulfilled all of those. Mm. And so what does it say if we haven't fulfilled all of those? Mm. Or if we've done them in a different order? Mm. Or if something goes wrong? We haven't reached our destination. We're not f- whole. We're not fulfilled. And so I think we've got to be really careful about the, the, the assumptions in society. The whole language, I have another, another ranty blog, uh, is the F word. The whole mm. thing of family. Mm. I love family. I love, I love church to be a family. I love, you know, friends as family. But I think we've got to be careful about how we use the word. Mm. A lot, a lot of the time through the pandemic, I've heard politicians talk about how important things are for you and your family. Mm. I'm glad that bubbles were a thing in the pandemic. Mm. I've loved my bubble. But it, before that happened, there was a lot of talk about family, family, family. And I think mm. we've got to be really careful about the assumptions we make. So I'm all for this. My best friend has three kids near they're about to all turn 15 13 11 I adore them I met all of them within hours or you know of their birth and that her children have a different narrative her children say you know when I get up mum I might I might get married I might have kids or I might be like Auntie Kate Mm. and it's just that under she says I'm so glad that they have you as this role model yeah. that's like rocking the single life yeah you know because otherwise they might not know their friends might all just be married and have kids. they might just think that's the only thing you can do yes but they look at me and they say auntie kate's got a pretty good life she hangs out with us she's fun she travels she she does stuff and they know that it's possible for life as a single person to be whole and to the full yeah. And that's not always the message that we give. It's not always the message that TV gets or films yeah. or Disney yeah. or Hollywood. Yeah. You know, how many, how many of those films end with the moment, the kiss, the, yes. The, yes. the happy ever after? And the happy ever after is nearly always with a partner. Yeah. That makes a really cute film. But actually, I, I want a, a feisty single hero or heroine that kind of rocks their, you know, singleness off into the sunset. Yeah. Yeah. So I think 
how we talk about that to children. So I guess what I would say is just be careful about the default things that come out of your mouth in the same way that we've perhaps learned not to say to the little girls that we see, don't you look pretty? Mm. But maybe to say, aren't you kind? Mm-hmm. You know, aren't, yeah. you a, aren't you a good sister? Or, you know, to praise things that they've got an influence over, not you're pretty. Yeah. In, in the same way, be careful about saying to children when you grow up and get married. Mm. And, and, for, and for parents of children, I guess it's inevitable they will kind of hope for grandchildren. Mm. But what, what becomes kind of the default language that we use without noticing to small children becomes huge pressure yes. as children get into adulthood. And I've spoken to, so I'm an only child. My parents don't have grandchildren because I don't have children. They won't have grandchildren. Mm. And you can feel that pressure. I've spoken to so many single people who say, I feel guilty. Mm. I feel guilty that I've not given my parents grandchildren, like they owe them it. Yeah. And so I think we've really got to be careful about that pressure that we put on. And it's about, you know, role models in all of life. We all need role models, don't we? You know, when mm. I was thinking about getting ordained, I looked to the women I knew who were leading churches because I could see somebody who looked like me. Yes. In the same way, you know, when I got involved in new wine leadership, started to lead on the platform, people got in touch with me to say, I don't remember seeing a single person mm. lead before. Like I, I saw couples. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's something for children about modeling, mm. about the language that we use and about them just understanding that it's okay. I was also struck, you know, that parents and carers and godparents and grandparents, we love to pray for their children and with their children. And I've um, just in my travels of speaking, uh, many parents and carers have told me that they are praying for their children's future spouse. And sometimes they pray for their children's future spouse with their children as a sort of way of, of modeling that. And is that a pattern you would advocate? Is there a better way of doing that, of praying for their future that includes all the possibilities of our children's future? Yeah, I think it's a tricky question. My One of my, I have five godchildren, um, and one of their mothers asked me as one of the things I pray for her daughter to pray for her future husband and I uh I said I'm not quite I don't think she asked me to pray for her future but I think she asked me to pray for her to marry a godly man or something mm. and I said I'm no I'm I'm, I'm not going to pray that here's what I am going to pray mm. um I am going to pray that she knows Jesus every day of her life that there's never a day when she doesn't know she's loved uh, I am going to pray that all her relationships are healthy and fulfilling uh, I am going to pray that she lives life to the full uh you know, I am going to pray, you know, that there isn't, you know, sort of heartbreak and loss in her life. You know, that here's the things I am going to pray. I am going to pray that if she gets married, it will be to a good man who mm. loves Jesus and, 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 you know, and loves her. So, so that's all the things I can do. So I'm not just going to in a vacuum pray that she mm. will marry a godly man mm. as if yeah. that's the only aim. Mm. But I will pray that if she marries... Mm. it will be that and if she doesn't marry that she'll be whole and complete mm. in her singleness that if she's a parent mm. that would be a you know a fulfilling and joyful experience for her and if she isn't a parent you know that there would be other ways for her to nurture and love, you know that that kind of thing mm. that's wonderful so it, it broadens the future possibilities but still preys into those things because we don't know what our kids are going to turn out to be we don't know the path that they're going to lead we can still pray well, into it Yes, how important to pray into that. What a gift mm. to pray into that. You know, a lot of children don't have that in their childhood, parents who are praying for them and mm. for their future. So 
of course do that and of course encourage the children to pray for that kind of thing so I wouldn't say just don't do it but but widen it you know and, and do that with the child because I think the other thing is that that people get to a certain age and they go, well, why am I not married? Why hasn't it happened? I thought it would happen. You all told me it would happen. You all said yeah. when I grew up and got married, yeah. but it hasn't happened. And so even just with children, for them to understand that, okay, this might not happen, but that is really okay. Yeah. And for them, if they're talked about when they're, when they're small, you know, because if their model is my parents are married to each other and their friends are married to each other and my grandparents are married to each other, I know that's not everybody. Some people will be in single parent families or or, or different life circumstances but often those are the models that children have um so just to understand there's different ways that life gets lived the last question i just had was there any other encouragements or truths that you want to encourage parents or carers with both single and married i always just want to give guests an opportunity to be like this is the thing i want to say oh gosh so much <laughs> i mean so the, the 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 caring for tiny people that i do through my safe families role uh, leads me to say my goodness me parents of tiny people you are you are rocking it you're doing an incredible job <laughs> and particularly <laughs> if you're doing it on your own my days I honor the amount of things in your life that you've done one-handed <laughs> yeah. I mean my goodness me um I honor the amount of things you have done during the day on two hours sleep I mean <laughs> goodness what superstars you are I don't know how the world still functions the number of people who've had like two hours sleep the previous night um and I just think, you know, bringing up, I guess just what a gift it is to bring up children in faith. So um, for, for those who haven't had that, it, it's an extraordinary gift, mm. um, you know, for, for children. You know, I didn't grow up in that sense with, with uh, going to church every day with my parents praying every day. And, and when I see it in my godchildren in their families, I think what an extraordinary gift for those children. So I guess just to sort of be encouraged really in that and in, and in the gift that you're giving your children of bringing them up in a home of faith. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you, Kate, for your wisdom and for your, your honesty and just being able to wrestle with this stuff. I think it's, it's so significant that we engage in this and wrestle with this. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And finally, our question to start an interesting conversation. How do you know when God hears you? Have a great week. Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. A new episode will be released next week. And why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight-session course to get in touch or to find out about training and events near you.